Amen. Let's look into that story. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, book of beginnings. From the beginning to the end, Christ is the story, his is the glory. We're in Genesis 22. If you need a pew Bible, you can turn there. It's on page 19 in your pew Bible if you need that. And if you need a Bible, feel free to take a Bible. We want you to be in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so that they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Camul the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilpah, and Bethul. Bethul fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abram's brother, Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remua, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Mahak. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a story we have here. A story of faith, a story of sacrifice, a story of substitution, a story of your provision. Lord, may we have open hearts to hear the truth of your word preached. May we be 
doers of your word and not hearers only. May we grow in a life of faith as we see you as the God of promise in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I invite you to keep your Bibles open there to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. For we want to look at this chapter. I want you, I invite you to see what God has to say to us here this morning through the story of Abraham here in chapter 22. I imagine most of us here this morning do not like tests. In fact, when we hear the word test, we normally don't think of fun. In fact, if you're a student here this morning, when you hear exam week is coming, you usually don't think, oh, good, my, my favorite week of the year is here. Reminds me of a student in college who stressed all semester in, in anticipation of a notoriously difficult final exam in his ornithology class. I mean, you know what that is. Study of birds. And having made what he thought to be the ultimate effort for his final exam, he was somewhat dismayed when he walked into the classroom to take the test. Instead of the multiple choice and the essay-based questions on birds he had been expecting, there were no test materials at all. Just 25 pictures up on the screen, not photos of different birds and all their vibrant colors, just pictures of birds' feet. The test was to identify all 25 species of birds by their feet. This is insane, the student thought. It must be done. This is the final, said the professor. I won't do it. I'm walking out, the frustrated student said. If you walk out, you will fail the final, said the professor. Go ahead and fail me, said the student, heading out the door. Okay, you have failed. Tell me your name. The boy pulled up his pant legs and said, you tell me, professor, you tell me. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Taking a test. It's not what most of us here enjoy. And nobody likes a test that is unreasonable and unexpected. But tests are a part of life. Sure, the nature of tests change as we move out of school and we move into life and the purpose of those tests change as we enter into a life of faith. We may not like to think of it this way, but God gives his people tests. He doesn't do it because he's mean or he's cruel. He doesn't do it to trip us up and to trick us. God does it to give us an opportunity to prove ourselves and, and to show what we're really like. In other words... Here's the big idea of this passage here, the test of God in the life of faith. God gives us tests to reveal our faith in God, to demonstrate what is really in our hearts, and He does it for our own good and ultimately for His glory. In fact, as you read through the Scriptures, you may have noticed some of these tests in the lives of people. You may have even noticed these tests in your own life as you look back on your life. For example, the Lord told Moses in Exodus 16, verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Later on in Deuteronomy Chapter 8, verse 2, Moses reminds God's people when he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So why does God bring tests to his people? It is to reveal our, our faith in him. And he does it for our good, for our benefit, and ultimately for his glory. To show us. These tests, they, they, they reveal whether we will keep God's commandments or not. To show us if we, we really trust God, if we're really ready to follow God anywhere, regardless of the cost. See, God's tests, whether they come 
in the form of suffering, whether they come in the form of success or, or perhaps even sacrifice, these tests, they give us an opportunity to demonstrate what is truly in our hearts to show us what our faith is really like. And throughout Abraham's life, if we, as we have seen in this series, we have seen God testing him again and again and again to prove what's in his heart and what his faith is really like. And here in Genesis 22, we once again see God testing Abraham. But this particular test is by far the most difficult test he's ever faced. In fact, you might say until now, everything had been in preparation for this moment in his life. And again, God is not being cruel here. God is giving Abraham an opportunity to prove what is in his heart, to prove that God is trustworthy, that God can be trusted no matter what the circumstances might be and regardless of the cost. So so what then do we learn about God's test in life from Abraham's testing by God? Well, three things that we can draw out of this particular test for our own lives. And the most obvious is, number one, God tests the faith of his people. That's the first thing that jumps out of this story. It's the most obvious, and we see this in verse 1 of chapter 22, when we are told from the beginning, after these things, God tested Abraham. But after what things? After the things that took place in chapter 21. After waiting 25 years, God finally came through on his promise of a son to Abraham and And Sarah, Isaac is finally born. And and now Abraham's life is filled with laughter and joy. And at the end of chapter 21, as we saw last Sunday, as Pastor Chris taught, Abraham's life is blessed by God. In fact, even the pagan king Abimelech recognized that God was with Abraham in everything he did. And so if you stand back from Abraham's life, at the end of chapter 21, you kind of see it this way. Abraham is raising a son. He's digging wells. He's making treaties. He's planting trees, and he's worshiping God. You might say, at this point in his life, life is good. He is living the good life. For Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, who by now is a teenager or a young man, in fact, The last verse in chapter 21, it almost sounds like a a happily ever after line in a fairy tale when it says in verse 34, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. However, Abraham's life is not a fairy tale. Abraham's story is at the heart of God's story of redeeming us from our sins. And Abraham still has one final test in his life of faith. And we, we know this is a test. But Abraham does not. He is totally blindsided when God comes to him and says in verses 1 through 2, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Again, we know up front that God was testing Abraham in all that he was asking him to do here in chapter 22. And yet, we can't help but still be shocked by the suddenness of all this. And even shocked by the focus of the test. It has to do with Abraham's son. And so it's rather significant that that we are told from the very beginning here in verse 1 that all of this is a test. As one commentator points out, without this particular explanation, God's request that Abraham offer up Isaac as a burnt offering, it would be inexplicable. And so we we now, from, from Scripture here, we know, we understand from the beginning that God... He is not interested in child sacrifice. This is not what this is about. In fact, indeed, God will later clarify that he finds child sacrifice abominable. But Abraham does not have all of this information as he undergoes this test from God. 
And so part of the drama of this story here is stepping back and it is recognizing the way in which Abraham's faith in God leads him now to obey all the way to the end of this test, even without knowing that it is only a test. As one commentator said, the test, instead of breaking Abraham, it brings him to the summit of his lifelong walk with God. And this is demonstrated by Abraham's readiness to obey when he replies to God, here I am. Now that is not Hebrew for hello. Listen, here I am. That is a statement of loving devotion. That is a statement of of heartfelt obedience to do whatever God is asking Abraham to do. In other words, Abraham is telling God, Lord, here I am. I, I, I stand ready to do whatever you are asking me to do. Oh, that is the attitude that we all need as Christ followers. Now, a couple of lessons, life lessons, regarding God's test here. First of all, sometimes God's tests are given without you knowing that you are being tested. God may be testing you even today, and you don't know it. Just like Abraham did not know he was being tested by God. We are told in verse 1 that this was a test, and the reason that we are told is so that we don't panic as we read this story. What is God doing? How can God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? We, we know what God is doing here. He's testing Abraham. He's giving Abraham an opportunity to prove what's in his heart and that God can be trusted no matter what the circumstances and regardless of the cost. But Abraham didn't know all of this at the moment. And so what God tells him to do here, it must have come to him with the force of an electric shock. Listen, the contrast here between these two chapters, it's remarkable. The heading for chapter 21 that we just looked at these last two Sundays. The heading for that chapter, chapter 21, is the birth of Isaac. And now you come to this chapter, chapter 22, and the heading for this chapter is the sacrifice of Isaac. But Abraham does not know what God is up to. And after all, think about it, it wouldn't be much of a test if God had told Abraham up front, would it? If God had come to him up front and told him, I'm, listen, I'm going to ask you to, to sacrifice your son, and then at the last second, I'm going to stop you from doing it. That's why we, we even today, we, we don't know, we often don't know that we're being tested. We can maybe perceive it, but if God had said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to test you, and it's not what it's going to look like, but I just need to give you an opportunity to prove your faith. Well, well that's a rather easy test to pass. But Abraham didn't know it, and you may not know in the moment, at the moment, that you are being tested by God. And it's for that reason that we must always, like Abraham, stand ready to do whatever God asks. Our attitude as Christ followers needs to be Abraham's attitude here. Here I am, Lord. It is an attitude of surrender. It's an attitude of willingness to obey no matter the cost, regardless of the circumstances. The second lesson we learn is that sometimes God's tests are absolutely agonizing and extremely perplexing. How agonizing was God's test? How perplexing was this test? Well, notice again what God asked Abraham to do here in verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this is absolutely gut-wrenching. You, you can even begin to imagine a little bit how this would pierce Abraham's soul as he heard these words come from God. In fact, in one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon said, Every syllable of this verse is knife cut. It's like a a sword thrust, a a wound to the heart. 
And so hearing God's command, it must have been excruciating as a focus on Abraham's son. And it would have been enough if God had simply said, take your son. But no, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And as we have seen, we know who Isaac is. Isaac, Isaac is the child of promise. He's Abraham's only son ever since Ishmael's departure some 14 to 16 years earlier. And so as the child of God's promise, everything is now focused on him. Abraham dearly loves Isaac. And so what God asked him to do is absolutely gut-wrenching. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. But God knew what he was asking. This is God's test. God knew what an agonizing and perplexing sacrifice this was for Abraham. It would be gut-wrenching for any parent to sacrifice a child. But for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac involved the son through whom God's promise was to be fulfilled, in which the world was to be blessed, eventually through the descendants, the promise seed, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It was through Isaac that Abraham was to have a multitude of descendants and possess the promised land. And so killing Isaac here, it meant kissing God's promises goodbye. And so in the space of just three short imperatives where God says, take your only son, go, and then offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham's whole world comes crashing down around him. God asked Abraham to do the unexpected and to do the unreasonable, the unimaginable. He asked him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. This is perplexing, to say the least. It sounds cruel. It's unreasonable. In fact, for the first time, Abraham is confronted with what feels like a, a conflict between God's command and God's promise. In light of God's promises regarding his son Isaac and his descendants, Abraham must be extremely perplexed here by what God is asking him to do. Let's, let's just be honest about it. God's test. Do they not? Do they not sometimes just fly in the face of God's promises? Do they not oftentimes seem to contradict his own words? One commentator said, God seemed to be Abraham's worst enemy here. His worst enemy. You ever felt that way about God? Oh, in your head, you, you know it's not true. But have you felt that way about God in the moment of testing? Sure you have. We all have. Even now, it may seem like what God is putting you through, what God is asking of you, God seems to be your worst enemy. And surely it must have felt like that to Abraham here. You and I may be asked to do things in obedience that do not immediately make sense to us, that do not immediately feel good. And in the moment, it may not even seem right. Oh, it, it, it's great when we obey God and we step out in faith and, and we know God's grace and his goodness is upon our lives. And even though it's, quote, hard, at least it makes sense, and we know it's for our good and it's for God's glory. When those kind of tests come, we're fine with them. But then there are times when you, you read God's commands in the Bible and how they relate to your life at that particular moment of your life, and you think, I don't even know how this is good for me. How is stepping out of this relationship good for me? How is stepping out of this job good for me? How is doing that good for me? But you know what God's command is, and even though it seems perplexing, you step out in faith. And that's why it's called a life of faith. Remember, Abraham, he has trusted himself 
more than God on several occasions prior to this. And when he did, he made a mess of his life. We looked at some of those messes he made. And after all these years, Abraham, he has now come to the point in his life, in his life of faith, where he has finally learned that God gives directions way more than he gives us destinations. In other words, way more than he tells us the end of the story and what's going to happen. Think about it. Throughout Abraham's life, God only tells Abraham enough information for the next step. Not 20 steps ahead. Not three months ahead, a year ahead. The next step. God says, I'm sending you to Canaan. I'll tell you the rest later. I'm going to give you this land. I'll I'll tell you more later. I'm going to make you into a multiple of nations. I'll let you know how later. I'm going to bless the world through your descendants. I'll tell you the rest later, Abraham. Just trust me in the meantime. And now God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, and he will tell him the rest of the story later. This is the kind of faith that is necessary for us here to follow Jesus Christ. Follow me, and I will tell you the rest later. So how then do we pass God's test? Even when they're they're agonizing, even when they're perplexing, well, it's actually very simple but very hard. But Abraham shows us how. Number two, to pass God's test, we must... Trust and obey. Now, before we proceed, perhaps we should stop and answer the question, why this test? Why this command? And why Isaac? Now, Moses doesn't tell us here explicitly in Scripture here in Genesis, but I wonder if Isaac had become a little too important to Abraham, especially after sending his son Ishmael away 14 to 16 years earlier. You see, what if Abraham had begun idolizing the promised child more than worshiping the God of promise? Some of you know that recently Timothy Keller just passed away Longtime pastor and author. He wrote a book sometime back called Counterfeit Gods. And in that book, Timothy Keller suggests this. He asks this question in relation to this particular test with Abraham. He says, This was the ultimate test. Isaac was now everything to Abraham. Abraham's affection had become adoration. God was not saying that you cannot love your son, but that you must not turn a loved one into a counterfeit God. And isn't it interesting to note in this chapter the emphasis on the word son here? As Pastor Chris read through the chapter for us, did you notice how often the word son is repeated? I challenge you to go through a circle all the times you see the word son. You will find no less than 13 times the word son is used here. In other words, Abraham's son, it is the tangible expression of God's goodness to him, of God's power, of God's promise. And now God was using that which Abraham cherished most, his most precious thing to him, to reveal the very depths of his trust in God. And I just wonder, just wonder how many of us are terrified that God might test us to this same degree. In our hearts, we're we're afraid to ask, but oh, do we want to know, is God going to use what I cherish most to reveal the depths of my trust in him? And oftentimes, that is our kids. And if God does, if he uses one of my children, what I cherish most, how am I going to respond to that test? Listen to me. There are only two options. Either we trust and obey or we turn our backs in God and walk away. 
God was asking Abraham here to act against, listen to me, to act against all common sense. He is asking him to act against his natural affections, his love for his son. He is asking him to act against his lifelong hopes and dreams. And did you notice that the author of Genesis here, Moses, he does not tell us how Abraham felt about it all. Oh, that is so interesting. Moses, he simply leads us to put ourselves in Abraham's place and to ponder his agonizing emotions in the moment of this test. And I think there's a reason why Moses doesn't tell us about Abraham's emotions and how he's feeling in all of this test. Instead of focusing on his emotions and feelings, Moses wants us not to focus on that, but rather to see Abraham's actions of obedience. You say, why? Listen to me, nobody feels their way to trust and obey. If you're, you're waiting to trust God and obey God in the middle of a test, and if you're waiting for your feelings to launch you into that, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. We live in a culture now where feelings trumps everything. Feelings have become our God in sense. We are ruled by our feelings. What we feel is what we do, and you better not trample on my feelings. It is the narrative of our culture. It's what rules the day. And yet we find in this story, while we have emotions, why God has given us emotions, and certainly we cannot dismiss the agonizing emotions that Abraham feels in this story, at the end of the day, Abraham is not ruled by his emotions. He is ruled by his trust in God Almighty. And that is what propels his actions of obedience, not his emotions, not his feelings. So notice Abraham's obedience and trust here. Abraham obeyed God immediately and completely because of his unwavering trust in God. If God's command to sacrifice his son is perplexing, then let me tell you, Abraham's response here, it is astounding. There's no questioning by Abraham on this. There's no arguing in God to God by Abraham here. There is no hesitation on Abraham's part whatsoever. This is astounding. Look what it says here in verses 3 through 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Immediate obedience. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And I just love that he calls it worship. In other words, Abraham is characterizing his obedience as an act of worship to God. And by the way, that is what obedience is. It is worshiping our Lord. The three-day journey took three days for Abraham to travel from where he was to the mountain of Moriah in the specific mountain that God was going to show him. Three-day journey. And as you might imagine, it must have been excruciating for Abraham as he contemplated the pain of sacrificing his son with each step that he took toward the mountain that God would show him. I think in three days I would have talked myself out of this. But not Abraham. He obeyed God every step of the way until he saw the mountain from afar on the third day. And as Abraham journeyed with his son, surely he must have, I can't help but imagine and think this, he must have anchored his faith, anchored his heart on what he said about God back in chapter 18, verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I can't help but believe that is what Abraham is surely meditating on. He's anchoring his faith. God, I don't understand this. This is perplexing. I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense. But surely you are the judge of all the earth, and you, in the end, you will do what is right and just. I believe that with all my heart. 
And he already saw how God proved that to be the case in chapter 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham believes that though God seems absurd, he will prove consistent. Though God is baffling, he is nevertheless trustworthy. Though he is mysterious, he is righteous and just. And so this steadfast faith in God is what sustains his obedience to God's command here. We see in verses 6 through 8, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And I can't help but think that question just must have pierced Abraham's heart. I I can't imagine being asked that question by my son Tyler and being asked to do this. In the anguish that you're feeling here. But notice Abraham's answer in verse 8. Abraham said to Isaac, his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And then we read in verses 9 through 10, the obedience of Abraham is astounding even here. And it almost seems like the story slows down in these verses. And you should read it and ponder it when it says, when they come to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Such astounding obedience in light of God's astounding command. So what is it that sustains such obedience? Three-day journey. Again, it was Abraham's unwavering trust in God. And we see this trust in God when Abraham says back in verse 5, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. Listen, Abraham had already seen God bring life out of his wife's barren, dead womb. And now Abraham believes that somehow, some way, God can do the same thing again in this particular situation. In fact, we are given an explanation of what is going through Abraham's mind and his thinking, his heart. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it explains that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So Abraham is willing to go through in slaughtering and killing his son. Believing that he serves a God of resurrection. This belief is even supported by what Abraham said in verse 8. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And that's exactly what God did at the last moment. Notice God's provision here. God prevented the sacrifice of Abraham's son, and then he provided a substitute for Abraham's son. God called Abraham to go to the very edge in his obedience as he raises the knife in his hand to slaughter his own son. And only at the last moment does God intervene to spare Abraham's son. We read in verses 11 and 12, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. That is the third time in this story which you hear those words of Abraham. Here I am. That is his attitude throughout this whole test. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so never was there a more welcome voice at this moment than here. You can imagine Abraham's old heart just jumping with joy, not to mention the relief that swept over his son Isaac. And it says in verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Oh, never was there a more joyous or eager sacrifice. As the flames consumed the ram, Abraham and Isaac offered their hearts to God in worship. And according to verse 14, 
Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. One commentator points out, although Abraham could have called the place, Abraham obeyed. He minimizes his own story in order to glorify the gracious provision of God. The Lord will provide, he calls it. And so we see that the God who tests is also the God who provides. Once again, God comes through. Once again, God has shown himself to be trustworthy, even when God's tests are agonizing and perplexing. And so Abraham passed God's test. How? Trust and obey. For there is no other way to pass God's test than to trust and obey. I'm sure there are many of you here today. And right now you are facing some kind of test from God. You might not know it necessarily, but you're in the middle of a test. Might be a dilemma, might be a conflict, might be a difficult situation. It may even be an opportunity before you. You may not have even thought of it as a test, but it is a test nonetheless. It is a test of your faith. And the question is, will you trust God and obey? Like Abraham, are you willing to say to God, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do whatever you ask of me. Listen, Abraham passed God's test for one reason and one reason only. He trusted God with what he cherished most his own son. One author writes, Thomas Mann, he says, and I quote, God asks whether Abraham's trust is really in God and not simply in what God has promised. Abraham has built altars before and sacrificed to this God before when God renewed the promises. But is Abraham willing now to build an altar and sacrifice the promises themselves? embodied in his son in order to demonstrate his unwavering trust in the God who stands behind the promises? Oh, that is the question. It's the question for every one of us here this morning. For Abraham, the answer is yes, he was willing. Abraham has come to the place where he now treasures God above even God's greatest gift to him, his own son. God has truly captured All of Abraham's heart. God is truly more important to Abraham than even his own son. And so God affirms in verse 12, this is beautiful, look at it. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And the fact that Abraham did not withhold his son from Isaac now demonstrates that Abraham now fears the Lord above anyone or anything else. Listen, those who fear the Lord, they come to know God in such a way that they are willing to do whatever He asks because they deeply trust Him and they believe that He is good, that He is gracious. Therefore, fearing the Lord, it means trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord, even if it means sacrificing that which is most precious to you. And this leads us to the last lesson when it comes to God's test. Passing God's test results in God's blessings. Abraham's astounding act of obedience resulted in God's blessings in his life. In fact, it is quite interesting It even prompted God here to do something that God had never done before. God swore an oath by his own name that these promises will come true. Look what it says in verses 15 through 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. 
because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Two blessings here. Number one, first of all, God blessed Abraham by providing Abraham assurance of his promises. God swore an oath that every promise will come to pass, but do not miss that it's Abraham's obedience that leads to God's assurance here. Each time prior that God blessed Abraham, he did so from grace, but now God adds, because you have obeyed my voice. Does this mean all of a sudden now God's changed the the framework? God's changed the the conditions? Does this mean that Abraham had somehow earned God's grace and earned these promises? No, not at all. God, God is simply rewarding Abraham's obedience with the assurance of his promises. So do not think, please do not walk out of here thinking, oh, my obedience doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Your obedience matters in the life of faith. As Derek Kinder points out, an author and commentator, he says to obey is to find new assurance as Abraham had discovered. And so I would say to you this morning, if you lack assurance of God's promises, obey him then. Just obey Listen, God gives his greatest assurance to those who are willing to obey him most fully. I've been a pastor now for over 20 years, lead pastor here, youth pastor 10 years prior to that. So in 30 years of ministry, as I have talked to people who lack assurance, whether it's God loves them, whether they're saved, blah, 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 you name it. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, you start asking questions, delve in, it's because they're not living for the Lord. They're not obeying. So if that's you, learn from Abraham here. Step out in faith and simply obey God's word. And then the second blessing here, God blessed Abraham by providing a future for Isaac. This chapter ends with the genealogy of Abraham's family, which at first glance, it seems like what? Seems out of place. Seems weird. But the reason for including this genealogy here is, again, is to assure Abraham that God has already provided a future wife for his son Isaac and Rebekah. At the beginning of the chapter, God called Abraham to do what? To sacrifice his son Isaac. And here at the end, Abraham now learns of the family who will provide for Isaac's future wife. And so God is good here. God is gracious here. When we obey God fully, we can trust that God is looking further ahead than we are looking what we can even do. So he is already taking care not only of our future needs, but also the needs of our children. So, like Abraham, like God did with Abraham, God still tests the faith of his people. And the question this morning for every one of us here is this. Will you trust and obey? For there is no other way to pass God's test of faith than to trust and obey. Abraham trusted God, and he was willing to sacrifice his own son, believing that the Lord will provide. And what's interesting, the place where God provided a substitute for Isaac was on Mount Moriah. And this location is rather significant because it's actually where Solomon would later build the temple. It's where the Israel, the people, the children of God would offer their sacrifices to the Lord as atonement for their sins. And many scholars believe that Calvary, the place of the cross, was only a short walk away from this particular mountain where Isaac was offered. 
Mount Moriah. So it is not by accident that to this day it is said, as we are told here in verse 14, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God on that day with Abraham, he provided a ram in the thicket as a sacrifice. And thousands of years later, God would provide his son on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for sin, perhaps on this same mountain. In fact, what's interesting, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he actually draws a parallel from this story here in Genesis 22 when he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so what God kept Abraham from doing, he himself did when he gave up his son on the cross for us. A few years ago, Christian History Magazine told of a time when Martin Luther, he read this particular story, Genesis 22. He read it to his family, his wife and his kids for like a family devotion. And when he had finished reading this story, his wife Katie said to his, her husband, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. Martin Luther just looked at his wife and said, but Katie, he did. He did. And God did. God provided his son as the lamb to die in our place so that we might be redeemed from our sins. Abraham was only asked to sacrifice his son. God actually sacrificed his son, Jesus. And more than that, Jesus endured a physical death, a spiritual death, to secure our redemption from sin. And so when God raised his hand at Calvary, there was no one there to cry out, stop, do not kill. There was no ram in the thicket there on Calvary to offer in Jesus' place. God's hand, you might say, it fell in judgment on his own son. And Jesus died in our place for our sins as our substitute. Therefore, oh, therefore, let us lay our lives at the foot of the cross. Let us come and worship him. Let us follow him in a life of faith, trusting him and obeying him as Abraham. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for your promises in Jesus Christ. And Lord, in response, we we give ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who has never done that, who has never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would give them the faith to do so today. And Lord, I pray that as we face the test of faith, that we would trust you with everything and obey you with a heart of faith, believing that you will provide as needed. And now, Father, I pray that as we come to your table to participate in the Lord's Supper, that we would come with a thankful heart for providing your Son as our substitute, as our sacrifice on the cross. And I pray that as we take the bread and juice, you would renew our faith in your love, and we would surrender ourselves anew to you in a life of faith. May you be glorified in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.